Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Marlene Gabauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So we decided with so many people traveling this week, either for Legal Week or there's some KM meetings, and of course, uh, depending on where you are in the country, it might be spring break as well, we wanted to bring you a special episode that I think you all will enjoy. So on the side, I produce a podcast with some of my colleagues here at Jackson Walker called Future Ready Business. And while it's a group of lawyers talking, it's really about how laws affect businesses ranging from startups, doctors, crypto, and even fashion. I enjoyed the topic of the future of fashion and the law that Art Cavazos and Aaron Camp picked for this episode. And I really love the fact that they were able to reach out to some friends of mine, Courtney White, who actually works for me. She's known on social media as Courthouse Couture. And William Nielsen, who also runs a men's bespoke suit company on the side, William and I are in our firm band. He's actually the lead singer. He's really, really, really talented. <laughs> and, and I follow Courthouse Couture, and I've ha- I've done so for several years, and I I just love what she does. It's really it's really great. Yeah. So whether you are traveling or this is just a regular week for you, we think you'll enjoy this discussion of the future of fashion and law. Hi, I'm Aaron Camp, a corporate finance lawyer with Jackson Walker. And I'm Art Cavazos, a corporate and finance lawyer with Jackson Walker. And this is Future Ready Business. As always, we'd like to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed today are ours and those of our guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views of Jackson Walker, its clients, or any of their respective affiliates. We actually really have a great show lined up for us today. (laughs) Who's coming? uh, And I say that... uh, Every time, but but this time it's it's absolutely true. So we've got uh, Courtney White and Will Nilsson, attorneys at Jackson Walker, out of our uh, Houston and Austin offices, respectively. But more importantly for today's topic, just really outstanding people in in the world of fashion. I'll kind of throw it over to y'all to to let you tell yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Courtney, Will, ladies first, please. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Courtney. I'm a research attorney in the Houston office, but online. Hi, Courtney. Hello. (laughs) Hello. But online, I am known as Courthouse Couture. Um, I do have my name trademarked. I've been a blogger for a while, since 2014. Um, I got really, really serious about Instagram, probably 2017, 2018. I have close to 30,000 followers on Instagram and almost 20,000 on TikTok. It's definitely a hobby, but it's one that I've really gotten interested in, and I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Thanks for that, Courtney. And my wife is a huge fan, by the way. She, like, I, that was mandatory for me to to say that. So. <laughs> Thank you, Art. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a physician. She doesn't even go to the courthouse, so. Yeah, see? <laughs> I'm Will Nilsson. I'm an associate at the uh, Austin office. You already said I do commercial real estate law. My crossover with fashion is I have a custom clothing company. We specialize in bespoke suit wear, so mainly formal wear. It does go down into informal wear and sometimes casual, but uh, we do kind of focus on formal inclusions. Courtney, you said something about, oh yeah, uh, followers. So I personally, I have over 700 followers on Instagram, uh, which I'm super proud of. Big influencer over there. Yeah, I'm really 
That's my main. You sold a bespoke suit to each one of them. Yeah, yeah, you can only follow me if you've bought a bespoke suit from me uh, as a requirement. No, it's it's just a new requirement. I I would love to have. Yeah, right. I would love to have that kind of uh, following. So Courtney and I are going to have to talk offline about some strategies, or maybe online about some strategies, because that's fantastic. I love that that you have all of that um, going for you. So that's cool. But yeah, I love doing it. Love being in fashion and in law. So it's what's what's better than that. The way that I learned that about you is because I saw one of the suits that you were wearing, and I was like, "That's an awesome suit." You know, where did you get that? And he was like, "Oh, I made it." Uh, and I was like, "Haha!" <laughs> like, no, really, where where did you get it? He's like, "No, I I really made it." <laughs> I've had that conversation, I think, like it's like eighty times a week. Like everywhere I'm going, it's, I'm just like, oh, man, it's like the same conversation. And I have to make it feel like it's totally normal. This has never happened before, but that's our best way of advertising. It's just getting out there and um, talking to people. And then if they like it, they'll say something. And then I get to say that I made it. And it's really exciting because I like doing it. Um, and then if they don't say anything, then I just, <laughs> I don't, oh, no, no, I got this off the rack. I went over. <laughs> but no, it's a lot of fun going out and doing that. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the fashion business and both of y'all are, are maybe as uh, side hustles or hobbies, uh, both involved in that uh, directly, which is which is really interesting. Uh, and then we, of course, also have uh, attorneys here who practice in that area on the legal side. So different avenues to approach it. My first question, and you know, either of y'all can, can jump in, what is fashion? And uh, <laughs> That's why, such an open-ended it's <laughs> a great way to start a conversation. Yeah, I am ready to hear y'all's answers. Why do we care about it? Why should we care about it? And what's the difference between those two things? I'm feeling like Courtney <laughs> should either go first to make sure the right things are said before the wrong things are said. Uh, so, Courtney, do you want to start us off? Sure. I well, I'll I'll kind of start with why I really started Courthouse Couture. One, I was board at work and I told everyone, um, this was a long time ago, like I was a baby lawyer and I said, I should start a blog called Courthouse Couture. And I started laughing and someone said, actually, that's a really good idea. And I sat on the idea, but when I was working as an insurance defense lawyer in Dallas, I was the only female that I saw. And so I started taking selfies of my outfits at work and it really became a way for me to express myself. I thought women who were attorneys were supposed to wear only one sort of thing. You know, when you're in law school, you're given a guideline, you're told you need to have a navy suit, a black suit, and a gray suit or charcoal. I felt like that was all I could wear. However, I grew up watching Legally Blonde and Elle Woods loved pink. (laughs) I personally love pink. And so I found that fashion was a way for self-expression. And so that's what I would probably say fashion is. It's a way for self-expression. And I definitely think we can still do that and be professional. So that's my answer. That's so interesting that you say that, Courtney, about the like certain color suits. Because when I was doing like my OCI interviews back when I was in law school, I actually chose to wear like a, I think I, I honestly like very boldly wore a red suit just to kind of stick out. And I had someone in the, interview um ask me like or say to me like oh wow that's so bold that you're not wearing black like you're wearing a different color than black needless to say i did not go to that firm i had no interest in going to that firm (laughs) because they clearly didn't care or agreed with that perception that like women should only be able to wear three colors in a formal setting 
did have you encountered anything like that or have you met anyone that's told you or reinforced that idea because since i've been practicing i feel like no one's ever made that comment to me again it didn't happen but what i did have happen is when i was working as an insurance defense lawyer i had another female lawyer tell me to be very careful what i wore to court which i still think a lot of that is true and she said that i needed to be careful and i had on a costume pearl necklace and she said that it was not appropriate because if I were going to do a jury trial, a jury may view that one way. I do feel like while that perception isn't fair, it is likely true. So I do talk a lot about that on my blog. Um, I even talk about why you may need to be careful what handbag you carry to work. Because I do think while it is a form of self-expression, everybody is not there yet. So there are ways to do it. I think you can wear bright pink if you're not during a jury trial. But I know that there is a lawyer on TikTok that her whole persona is that she wears pink and she wears pink literally every day. And I love it because she's completely going against that stereotype. You mentioned the word persona there. And, and that's really interesting uh, because you also mentioned earlier about, you know, fashion being a, a mode of self-expression. Online, I think there is this interesting kind of intersection between self-expression kind of from like an artistry sense and then kind of the commercial aspect of a persona and marketing and, and selling. Well, you know, you sell your bespoke uh, suits. Yeah. From a marketing perspective, what is fashion? There are probably a lot of answers to that, but especially in men's suits, you'll find if you kind of study people that sell this kind of product, they tend to try to expose as many elements that they can provide in as few pieces as they can provide. So if you have one suit, you want to be able to show like every little detail that you might be able to do. Uh, so like the lining is going to be a little wonky. You'll show like a custom signature as opposed to just embroidery of some kind. So it's like every kind of bell and whistle that you can embellish. Mostly you're doing that to encourage people to view something that they want on you the second they see you. So another example of this is a lot of older companies, like a lot of fashion companies that started in the 50s and 60s that still have kind of glass front storefronts on um, affluent drives like Winter Park Drive in Orlando, um, you'll see like all, you'll see these strange outfits that have tons of different colors and it's things that, that don't go together. Um, but the whole point of it is to say, what can I get here? Like, what are all the options that I could get here? So that you'll walk in the store and say, now I know I have like tons of options when I walk in here. This is a place of creativity. So then it kind of expands your mind. And for the business owner, hopefully, I guess their perspective is that it would expand the wallet too. It says like, well, I, I'll spend money here because I know I can be creative. Um, so that's definitely from the marketing and business perspective. There's a lot of that that goes on. As we shift away from mass retail into more uh, sort of what, people are doing now, which is customizing things, making them very unique to themselves because we have more ability to do that as technology increases with fashion and sustainability is starting to be a focus. Um, we start to see fashion more as how can I express myself with pieces that I maybe modify or get modified. So you kind of want to show personality and who you are uniquely through your marketing if, if you're a business owner or just through who you are by wearing clothes. Um, so from a marketing perspective, it's all about showing who you are and, and creating your, we talk a lot about personal brands, right? So it's, it's a lot of creating your personal brand is what I delve into from the visuals perspective. 
Yeah, I, I love that, you know, the idea of a personal brand. And I think a lot of people online now are, are realizing that's what they're doing online uh -huh. is creating a personal brand. Absolutely. And then also the idea of like anywhere you look is going to be something that is a hook uh, yes. that, you know, oh, I, I like that. I want that. Uh -huh. And that's really interesting. Absolutely. Um, hook. That's a, that's a good word for that. I've never thought about that. I'm a, I'm a nerd for words, as we all are as attorneys. I do think it is really interesting in fashion because I feel like with the age of information and in fashion has come sort of this like age of individualism. And I think that is what's kind of unique to our decade and this generation of fashion. Um, so I think that is really interesting that that's kind of the business model that, you know, you chose to go after. Um, but I also think that really it's it's kind of interesting to think about, right? Because at the same time as we are all emphasizing all this individualism, all these major like brands and fashion houses are starting to move away from like commercial marketing and really start focusing on these like Instagram influencers and individuals and people that want to incorporate the brand into their personal brand rather than, you know, just models and straight up just like one designer. Um, I think that's a huge shift in fashion. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I completely agree, but I just talked a lot. I would like, love to hear from Courtney. Sure. <laughs> in terms of influencer marketing, I think the reason that it's such a big thing right now is that people really want to see someone who looks like them in clothing. Uh -huh. So there was not a lot of diversity in terms of the models that were used with a lot of different fashion companies in terms of size, in terms of race, ethnicity, and even ability level. So you have now seen all of those things, especially during the pandemic, when companies did not have a way to formally put on marketing campaigns. They really utilized influencers, one, because influencers were cheaper, and people could show how they were wearing items in their real environment at home. And that really, really resonated with people. And the influencer marketing industry, I think, is only going to continue to grow because of that. And Absolutely. TikTok has brought a new element into that because now video content really seems to be growing and people love seeing people do get ready with me videos and talk about how they're styling outfits, even what undergarments or whatever they may be wearing. Um, so it's just it's fascinating. But I think what brands are realizing is that they can rely on individuals to help them market. I think the area that we need to probably grow in in terms of business is there's not a lot of regulation of the influencer industry. Um, that's definitely okay. something that I think uh -huh. Jackson Walker, even I'm happy to work on, but I definitely think there needs to be more regulation in the area. Um, there's not a lot of regulation in terms of contracts. Um, a lot of businesses are trying to create their own contracts on the fly. Um, people are stealing people's intellectual property. There's just a lot of things that are going on because this area is so new, so companies are still figuring it out. Totally. And I, I really think like with all this and as companies are figuring out, I mean, I think it's also really um, influencing how these design houses are progressing in their style and how these new seasons are coming out. I mean, I really feel like there's such there's so much more emphasis, at least especially in women's clothing on like utility. Um, I feel like it's just very recent and it might partially be due to the popularity of those try-ons and stuff because now people are debating whether or not they're going to buy things based off whether they're actually useful, not based off of just what they look like in a picture. So, um, I mean, I just think, like, 
influencers have had and just that marketing style have had so much um, influence, you know, from how they market to even like how the designs are progressing and evolving from season to season. Yeah, because people during the pandemic really, really wanted washable clothing. So people were constantly asking me, hey, is that washable? Is that washable? Uh Um, People didn't want to dry clean and dry cleaning prices have went up tremendously after the pandemic. And I still think that's something that people care about. I do think to bring up something that Will said is that sustainability is definitely something that's important. A lot of brands have been called out, Coach being one of the main ones, because apparently Uh when handbags aren't, you know, being sold, they're cutting them up, (laughs) which is awful. Um, And other brands got in trouble during the pandemic because people found out they were burning their merchandise instead of selling it and putting it on sale. Burberry was a big uh, culprit in that um, as well. And I've noticed a shift in like red carpets and fashion events with that and sustainability. Um, You know, less and less people are, well, I guess more and more people are coming to the, these events in like capsule collections or reworn items instead of, you know, things that were tailor-made for that event. Um, you know, it's it's just, the fashion industry really is influenced by, I mean, it's, I feel like we open this up, like what is fashion? Is it important? Is it related to this topic of future-ready business? And it really is. I mean, it is a business, it is an industry, and it is truly touched and evolves exactly how like the rest you know just kind of like our politics and socioeconomic everything is evolving it's all interconnected and i think that's so interesting yeah was uh somebody has a quote on this that's way smarter than me uh the the idea that like fashion and art always proceed um changes in thought like like the rationalist period is preceded by the art that was driving towards the rationalist period and then innovation comes after that so it's obviously like all of our tech is always going to fall kind of behind um, what our fashion is showing we want to do. And I think that's where we're headed is individualism is so such a focus now among everybody in terms of fashion, especially. And the more we are, we have that focus on it, the more drive it's going to be towards having a sustainable way to create clothes that we are ours. And it's not really about trading it for the next style. It's more about creating my own closet so that I can have something through my life that tells my story. And that's a much more sustainable practice and actually it was a much older practice when people could not, there was no innovation that allowed this mass production that we have now of clothing, um, which, you know, mass production of clothing has created lots of uh, life-saving, you know, things. So it's, it was a, it's an important step, I think, along human progress. But now we're at the, I believe the next step is to make things more individual, more long-term minded, um, less exchangeable, less freely throwawayable. Um, just like Courtney was saying with the cutting things up and all that. And there's ne- there's never one enemy. It's really, um, it's really a mindset that's changing overall, I would say. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of those points, points were, were, you know, fantastic and, and spot on. Um, you know, I, when I think about kind of the personal image, personal brand, uh, the individualism that is, is happening and the economy that's moving on to the internet and more and more commerce is done virtually and people creating their online brand is increasingly the uh, kind of foundation of many different industries, um, right? So 
what about when you introduce AI into that, right? Like you look at what has been done with uh, chat GPT and, and, you know, kind of similar, uh, I think Google released Bard to greet, what's the opposite of fanfare? Um, <laughs> but, um, Fright. but <laughs> not really, but. Uh, Courtney, you mentioned the intellectual property, you know, being stolen. You know, what, what about when someone can type into a uh, software program, create a blog post in the style of Courtney White or, you know, style me an outfit in the style of Courtney White or uh, Will Nilsson or anyone, right? How does that change the game? I think that's huge. People can already do that to a certain extent if they go on Pinterest since Pinterest is definitely searchable and I'm on Pinterest. That's part of the reason I wanted to get my name Courthouse Couture trademarked because I was very serious about the fact that people could be stealing what I was doing. And someone actually did steal an influencer's blog posts and was using them. And I don't know if she used AI, but she was rewriting an influencer's blog posts and she made her whole presence until she got caught copying this person's work. So it's already happening. But I, if I envisioned people on ChatGPT, what I'd hope they would be doing is saying, help me figure out how to style black pants three different ways or help me how to style a suit. But I do think people could also use it to help write blog posts. But they're already using people right now. A lot of bloggers use, I believe it's Fiverr. People are using services to write their blog posts because a lot of people think blogging is dead. I do think that's the reason that a lot of influencers probably need to move toward owning their brand. They don't own their online presence. We don't own any of the platforms that we are on. I do own my blog. But if you look at a lot of influencers now, especially influencers that have a lot of millions of followers, a lot of them don't even have a blog. So they're completely relying on TikTok, which we know could go on a ban at any moment if there's ever an issue because TikTok comes from a Chinese-based company, not that we have anything against them. But I think in terms of business, if influencers want to move forward to become more viable and to be respected, they probably need to own their brand, having their own blogs, getting their names trademarked. Trademark is also a way to help you fast track into getting verified on social media websites as well. Yeah, I think Courtney's advice is much more practical than I would probably just offer up the pie in the sky other side of it which is I, I definitely I struggle with copyright just generally speaking from a philosophy standpoint because I went to music school I, I grew up a musician and artist and all that before I did law school and then I found out that people get totally messed up right by uh, by people by bad actors I mean that's really what it is is um, bad actors will either try to trick others into saying that they are someone who has creative value and then extort value from others by doing that. That's one of the main protections. And then the other is using just using symbols that someone else has created or using content that someone else has created, calling it theirs and monetizing it. Um, both of those are are just stealing. Um, it's And how do we get past that? But then I uh, struggle with the other side of it, which is how do we encourage creativity and freedom of thought, um, freedom of creation of new ideas, and place people into uh, situations where it's positive to create and to borrow from others. The hip hop revolution was really critical, I feel like, to that in terms of the music side of things, but that greatly influenced me in terms of how I view fashion. Fashion is one of the biggest uh, grossing industries just generally, which I think there's some probably some problems with that, but part of the reason it's not is because copyright is just generally speaking 
far less prevalent. Um, it, the, the designs themselves, uh, the patterns, it's really hard to get down into patent work and copyright work when it comes to those patterns. Unless if, you're like Louboutin or so, Tiffany Blue. Yeah, if there's, got, some, there's some exceptions, but right, it is very And it hard. took Louboutin exactly. forever to get their red forever. copy. Yes, yeah, it took forever. So It took a and huge it, lawsuit. It was like the right. contrasting soul. I feel like I read that in like an IP course in law school. Yeah. Like we all, I think that's like the token case. And, and it's it kind of exposes how much of a resource does someone in an art, it's truly it's an art business, what kind of resources do they need in order to create some sort of value out of a restrictive covenant, basically, on what they've created? And if it's not supporting those that are in the, the most creative space, then it will stunt development in the field overall. So... I don't really have any answers on that, but I do think about that a lot. I think it's a very important question for us to all be considering in terms of fashion and the way we're proceeding into personal branding. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think another part of fashion that's really changed that we haven't really talked about, and honestly, Will, I mean, you can probably you probably totally relate the, to this, is like it is so much easier to start a brand than, it, than it's ever been and to have like a bespoke custom tailored tailoring company i mean it's just it is easier because it's easier to advertise on all these platforms like instagram and things and so we're seeing like so much more diversity in brands i frequently think about that sort of it's it's like a conflict in what we're doing because we want to protect people for their creativity but we want to encourage people to still participate and we don't want to penalize people for participating so it's just, especially if what they're adding is just like the next step or something. I mean, it's just, you should, that it's arguably shouldn't be patentable because if we patent that, then the next step on that step can't be, you know, accessed by anyone except for the person that owns the patent. So, I mean, it is like a huge conflict. It causes a lot of problems. It could cause an increasing amount of problems if we were to ever change our thoughts on this. But luckily, you know, we are pretty loose on this in the U.S. and it's very rare that you can't have something. I just think it's super interesting. To give you an example of that, uh, we had a client that he's in Boston. He had researched his family lineage and his genealogy, everything, uh, to find his his crest um, of his last name. And it's a specific crest in Scotland that's not... His last name is very prevalent in Scotland, but he has a specific family line that has that particular crest. And if you go into, like, there's a word for, like, crestology, but it's not crestology, but... Uh, it's it's very complicated. Um, and he did all the research and said, this is it. And I know that this is it. His father passed away. He wanted it placed as a memorial inside his jacket as the lining. Such a cool idea. And um, we had to think through what are the copyright uh, crossovers right now. And um, ultimately, as long as there's a solution that's reasonable, I think it all works. Um, and in this case, there was. Thankfully, we bought a license for the image. But then I was conflicted again, thinking this is this guy's family crest. Uh, why should I need someone's, why should he, more specifically, why should he should need someone's permission to use the family crest that is his lineage um, to place on the inside of a jacket that's only his, it's not mass produced, he's not making a profit off of it. I am, so I have to be sure that I'm doing it right, but it's interesting as a question, but I I love that we're running into it on an individual basis right now, because it's getting people to think really deeply about what their copyright, what am I as a copyright? How am I copywriting myself and my content? Does it matter or not? And if it doesn't make anybody any money or, or nobody else is making money on it, maybe it doesn't matter. But we know people, other people are going to make money on someone else's labor if we don't 
stop that from happening. I'm getting a little passionate. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of uh, kind of, you know, modern treatment of, uh, you know, traditional things, one of the premises or, or questions that we're asking on, you know, future ready business, you know, is, is this kind of a transformative time for the economy and, and for business? You know, I think the conventional wisdom, you know, the pandemic has changed a lot of things, but we're, we're kind of exploring uh, on this podcast, all the, in the different industries, how is that true? Is that true? And in what ways is that true? Do you all see that being true in the uh, fashion industry? You know, is this kind of a transformative time and what's going to be different going forward if so? So when I initially wrote my blog post about people, you know, wearing athleisure after the pandemic, it was because a lot of companies really were shifting what they were selling in stores because people were no longer wearing suits. A lot of people said their employees, and this was really to help get them back to work, could wear more casual attire than they had pre-pandemic. However, I'm now seeing on the runways that that's kind of shifting back and kind of this maximalism is kind of floating back in. So I think we may see a mix of both. I do think that a lot of companies and just America in general is much more casual than other parts of the world in terms of what we wear. But I also think what's happening is that brands are being forced to listen to the consciousness of the consumers, meaning people don't just care about the fact that they like your clothing, they also care about what you stand for. The Black Lives Matter movement was a definite example of that. Also, you have people asking questions about sustainability and about Me Too and lots of other questions about people who own companies, who are on the boards, are your boards diverse? And so people are becoming much more educated because of Google and people can look up everything and find out everything they want to know in a matter of minutes and start questioning it. And there's also sites that are dedicated online to holding fashion brands and companies uh, accountable. Yeah, I think you've been uh, speaking about one on your uh, Instagram recently, the Birkin Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) People have really enjoyed that. So someone started a page and they only do stories on Instagram called the Fake Birkin Slayer. And this page is dedicated to calling out influencers who are making it seem like they have Hermes Birkin bags, but they do not. And um, it's also brought up that apparently these influencers are also linking products. They're showing the fake product, but it's a super fake because there's levels to fakes. These are super fakes that look and feel almost exactly like the actual whatever designer item. And uh, they're linking it to items that are real. So there's this whole seediness of people buying into a lifestyle from influencers and they don't really own it. It's been really, really fascinating. But I think a lot of people just fundamentally don't understand that selling counterfeit items is illegal. A lot of people are comfortable with buying them, but a lot of people are not. And a lot of people have followed the story because they said they felt like influencers were living fake lives. And there's no way that these people can be buying 10 Birkin bags when Birkin bags, a plain Hermes Birkin bag may start at around $8,000 to $10,000, depending upon the leather that you're using starting at on the very low end. And also they want you to have an extensive purchase list with them, meaning they want you to purchase their blanket, a bracelet, a scarf, all of these other things before you can even be offered a Birkin. I don't know if you all remember several years ago, they actually turned Oprah, Oprah of all people away from an Hermes store. So um, 
The entire topic has been really, really interesting. And even when I try not to be a lawyer online, I still end up becoming a lawyer online because people end up asking all of these questions like, how can people do this? And it's really because U.S. law allows inspiration, which really means you can be inspired by another design, but you can't steal it. There's a lot of brands I can think of that I won't necessarily mention that often lift uh, the designs from other more you know expensive designers. There may be contemporary brands. And that's okay, but outright stealing and stealing somebody's logo is not. And I just think people are fascinated by that now because now they can look everything up. Uh, but also DHgate, AliExpress are sites that are becoming huge because people can buy these fakes very easily. They don't have to go to Canal Street like you used to do in New York to buy fakes. Yeah, I've, I've been there. Those are uh, not very convincing fakes, usually. <laughs> They're not. Uh, <laughs> They're not. <laughs> Unless you get taken to the back room, Art. They had a back room that, you know, I've heard. I, I can't I, confirm I, I or deny. <laughs> Art doesn't issues. go into back rooms. That's a principle, I think. Will, what, what is your take on, on the future of the fashion industry? Um, and maybe I would actually be very interested in bringing it down to, you know, where you're working, you know, kind of the bespoke suit space um you know what what's going on there is that something that is going to become a bigger part of men's fashion i think it's yes and no as a self-serving person i should probably just resoundingly say yes yes all it's going to be the biggest thing ever what i think is happening is people are um, figuring out that they can do things that they want to do for less money than than before because of uh, work stream advances really Shipping, the, the way international relations are going, um, has it's overall has been a dramatic increase in um, efficiency and flexibility with respect to getting products from A to B. Uh, materials are easier to get from A to B. And I just benefit from that directly and so do my customers. I mean, it's very much, um, we're in a different world now with respect to making clothes for yourself by experts. So the fact that we can even do that right now was already a kind of a paradigm shift. It used to be only done by kind of traveling salesman style outfits. There recently there are I think like three or four very big companies that do a lot of what I do. It's it's a made to measure bespoke process where everything is not from a, a an archive, an inventory, so it's made for the client. But now people like me with in smaller operations in different cities are deciding that they have enough access to the market to make something that's their ideas put onto people more of what I do, people's ideas put onto people because I, I try to focus on what people want to express themselves at. And, and that's where I think it's going to win, which is um, people bringing their ideas to me and me being kind of the just the, the applier of those ideas onto them in an efficient way and then offering my consultation more on the side because their ideas are the fundamental that's creating the piece that I'm doing. I think that's the way that the market is going because it's more value to the client for them to get what they want rather than to be at the whims of a designer. I do love designing. So I really relish the opportunity when a client says like, hey, do you want to just do something for me that you make? I love doing it. But really, I know that the most value for someone is going to be getting to them to, and they still want to have what they want. Even when they ask me to do something that's really just my creation, if I do something and they don't like it, they're still not, they're not going to like it, even though they don't like it. It's, it. it's still up to them. So I think that's the direction it's going. I think that the market cyc uh, cyclicity, if that's a word, 
is interesting right now because luxury markets are always kind of down when free cash flow is down. And that's where a lot of consumers are right now because we're in recession fears and all of that. So people are a little bit less likely to be spending money. And that means that anything that's seen as a luxury good, which could mean personal fashion, uh, is always going to take a dive. And that's where I see a current market that would change up probably within the next six or seven months back to we're getting back into the office. I have to upgrade my wardrobe. I have to present myself with my personal brand and get real with this. That's probably my short-term outlook. And maybe AI will make it easier for people to design their own Absolutely. custom wardrobes and that will become more and more the norm, you know, with all the supply chain. I hope so. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, the designing your own wardrobe things with the AI, I just, I don't like that. I want to, the creativity part of putting your outfit together, I think is, you know, what I really like. So I really think fashion, in my opinion, is like one of the few industries that AI like just cannot take over completely unless we find a way to completely recreate human creativity, which I just, I mean, I think we're a long way from that. I agree. It will not take over. Um, I think it should be a tool. I hope we use it as a paintbrush. Uh, yeah. As soon as we get to that point, it's going to be great. Yeah. If people start to, you'll, I think you'll notice very quickly if people are using only AI. I mean, now blog posts, when people are posting, that's clearly AI driven. Uh, you can tell the difference in value. Just uh, It's almost like a little Turing test. Like you can kind of, oh yeah, that seems like an AI wrote this. Some people kind of talk like, uh, it seems like an AI wrote your conversation. <laughs> and it's because they're phoning it in. <laughs> like they're, they're not thinking. Um, they don't want to. You know, and that will be part of society um, inevitably. But it already is. Because that's how we are uh, sometimes as people as we try to phone it in and make sure we're not really rocking the boat. Well, you know, the the time, there's a lot of parallels, you know, for uh, a lot of different industries, professionals in a lot of different industries, but the time that it takes a, you know, human designer to design a, a bespoke suit for a customer and, you know, create that is always going to be more than if you have, you know, there's already essentially video games where, uh, you know, primarily marketed at girls, but, you know, where, where anybody could go on there and design uh, I mean, the marketing is funny. We we didn't get into like the gendered aspects of marketing, but uh, for an, for another episode, we can get into that. Absolutely. Um, but but you go in there and you design the outfits and everything. So it would be very easy, I think, to take like these the softwares that already exists and just start making real clothes with that. You know, not very easy, but in the sense that it is kind of doable. The technology is there, and yeah. the supply chain uh, management aspects that you were mentioning uh, make it more more doable. But I think there will always be a place for a human designer, but, but their time is limited. So it, right. it kind of it democratizes it in a way because for the people who can't all access, you know, a human bespoke designer, right. uh, maybe have kind of that as a substitute. Yeah, consultancy always creates a certain amount of luxury. And that luxury is quantified by the extra time that it takes, which creates that lack of efficiency. It's, it's always going to be a step above to have someone else working with you on a design and and working and I hope that that is the real value add because really at the end of the day the logistics we want to simplify everything as much as possible speaking as an attorney we want to simplify the law as much as possible for the benefit of society I mean I know that puts me out of a job but law in many ways the simpler it is for people the the more efficient it is for everyone um, contracts are born out of the inefficiency of criminal mindsets so it's we're kind of at this idea of how do we create a fashion sphere 
that is efficient for people but doesn't ruin the value, the evident value of creativity. And that's where law can be too. I think we're headed that way. I do think that AI can be inserted into fashion. The more that people feel like they're involved in the process, it will be fun for them. But maybe more of what I'm envisioning is AI being used to help us kind of eliminate some of the problems with fast fashion that have been brought up, figuring out better ways to produce items. So maybe there are several people that want the same type of design. They don't know they want the same type of design. But if we can all kind of quantify that and put that in one place, maybe there's an opportunity to kind of streamline that process. I do think that already you've got companies testing this idea out. One of them I've worked with before. It's a company that's actually based in India, but they do their best to um, provide equitable accommodations for the employees that work for them. And you figure out who that person is when you get your item back. But you can change the sleeve work. You can change you know, the collar of your dress. You can change the length of your dress. You can put your height in. You can put in your measurements. And they charge you small upgraded fees for certain items when they're shifted. So you can already kind of start creating what is a custom garment. I do think that more expensive design houses, they've always had an element of customization. I don't think that will go away. But what I do think AI will provide is what Will has already talked about. It will provide people who don't have access in terms of um, they don't have the money to maybe go to Hermes and say, I want a custom Hermes bag. But maybe a more contemporary designer has like a couple of designs that someone can use, which I think designers have already toyed around with that. And I think you may see more of that customization. People are already asking for it. You've already seen some brands adapt, like Old Navy has started selling jeans, Good American does as well, that fit you if you your size fluctuates within three sizes. I didn't think that, that was even possible, but the jeans are really popular, especially with women, because they can kind of wear them before childbirth, after childbirth. There's all these different things. So I think you'll, you'll just start seeing ways that customization can become a part of a normal shopping experience. Also, I think the way AI can be used is to maybe keep people from the inside of stores. Stores don't want to hear this, but we know rent is expensive. We know that rent has changed post-pandemic. And so I think what you may see is allowing people to have some of those custom experiences that you had to go in a brick-and-mortar store to do. You no longer will have to do those. You will be able to do all of that online. That's what I envision. Uh, Nordstrom has already experimented with what they call a concept store, and they pretty much have them in California. I don't know if they ever expanded beyond that, where you literally went into the store, you could see, touch, and feel things, but you never took any items out of the store. The stores were smaller in square footage and footprint of a normal Nordstrom, and you would just get the items shipped to your house. That saves Nordstrom. They don't have to be in a large mall and pay the same amount of rent that they normally would have to pay. And so it provides you still with a custom experience. And I just think AI will allow that. Um, I think it will just allow more customization. The only thing that I struggle with is that AI needs to also be there on the production side. So you can have all of this AI, but if the production side has not caught up with all of that customization, it still will not help the business owner's bottom line, which means there's going to have to be a limit on that customization because it just won't make sense. 
Neiman Marcus, their, I believe it was their CEO or CFO just came out and said that the majority of their business is determined by only 2% of their customers, which means most of the people that are coming in Neiman Marcus are not what's driving sales. So if Neiman Marcus is saying that, I, I can't imagine that everyone will be that highly customized. They will have to put limits on it and production will have to catch up for AI to really work in concert with having more customization op options and more freedom of design, which is why I agree with all of you that I don't think AI is taking over anytime soon, but I could be wrong. So I, th I think we had a great conversation today about uh, fashion and the intersection of uh, art and business, no pun intended. And uh, Will, Courtney, thank you again uh, so much for joining us. And uh, y'all were wonderful. Did you want to say anything uh, here at the end? Uh, did y'all have any uh, internet uh, handles to share or um, uh, anything like that? Sure. I'm rebranding right now. Um, at, it's going to be Austin Bespoke. But for right now, you could just get me at my personal Instagram, which is Big Willie Got Back. B I G W I L Y G O T B A C K. I love it. Please add to his 700 followers. 711 he followers. Is as desperate. <laughs> desperate for followers. And uh, I'm I love like it. Courtney over here. I Every time it. I get a follower, I'm like, man, one step closer to Courtney. <laughs> it took a long time to get there, truly. Um, but I am at Courthouse Couture at almost every platform. If it's if Courthouse Couture is too long, it's Courthouse Court. But almost every platform, Instagram, Facebook, uh, even YouTube, Courthouse Couture. I'm adding you right now, Courtney. Yay! <laughs> I already follow you, Courtney. Thank you. <laughs> well, if you liked our show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and share FRB with your friends and colleagues. Oh, yeah, normally I say that, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you were taking too long. <laughs> uh, thank you to our producer, Greg, on the ones and twos. You can find us on Instagram at Futurity Business, and you can find me on Twitter at Finance Lawyer. And you can find me on Twitter at Business Lawyer E, E for Aaron. As mentioned at the top of the show, the opinions expressed today are ours and those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Jackson Walker, its clients, or any of their respective affiliates. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to this special episode of Future Ready Business on the Geek and Review podcast. We'll have all the links to where you can find Future Ready Business and follow Art, Aaron, Courtney, and William. You know, William still needs a few more Instagram followers, by the way. So uh, I'll, 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 get I'll on make that. sure that, that uh, <laughs> we link to that. And if you enjoy our show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at M on Twitter. And I can be reached at Glambert on Twitter. Or you can leave us a voicemail on our Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7821. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. He's also very fashionable. He is. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Marlene.